Welcome to the Mornings with Sue and Andy podcast for Thursday, August 18th. We begin with an update on the war in Ukraine. Six months into the conflict, are we, as Canadians, doing enough to help Ukrainians in their battle against the Russian invasion? We discuss with Andrew Rasoulis, fellow at the Canadian Affairs Institute and an expert in Eastern European affairs. Beyond getting your class schedule and picking up some supplies, budgeting and healthy banking habits are two important considerations for post-secondary students heading back to school this fall. We get some advice and insight from Natasha McMillan, Director of Everyday Banking at RateHub.ca. And finally, it's a chance for Stamps fans to take a trip back in time. Our Dave McIver has details on how fans can now access digitized classic moments in Stamp Eater's history. Six months into the war in Ukraine, has Canada, have we, lived up to our promises? And are we doing enough to help Ukraine defend their country from Russian forces? Joining us uh, to help us answer that question and for an update on where we are in the conflict is Andrew Rasoulis, fellow at the Canadian Global Affairs Institute and an expert in Eastern European affairs. Good morning to you, Andrew. Good morning to you, Andrew or Andy. How either one. We'll just, yeah. <laughs> I'll call you Andrew. You call me Andrew or Andy. I'll take okay. it either way. We're good. Um, it's all Andrew all the time. Uh, let's let's yeah. break this down. We'll get into an update as to where we are, where that front line yeah. is now in yeah. Ukraine. But before we get there, I know that as many countries on the world stage, we, we said we are going to do what we can. So the big question is, are we falling short? Are we delivering what we said we would do to help the people of Ukraine in this battle? Yeah, no, Canada is uh, is doing, uh, I think, a very masterful job of balancing its resources, and everything is resources. Um, so you have all you have all the principles and all the goals stated uh, as you want, but at the end of the day, every government, now we're talking the government of Canada, they have a limited budget, they have a limited tax base, and we are doing certain amounts for Ukraine, which is very substantive. But we have to always remember at this point, even in the military sphere, we have a very important commitment to the eastern flank, specifically to uh, the NATO forces that we are heading up in Latvia. And in that sense, in uh, at the end of June at the NATO summit, Canada, along with other allies, pledged that we would uh, uh, upscale our battalion commitment to Latvia, the, the force there, to a brigade level. That means a threefold increase. And those resources have to come from somewhere. That means we will have more equipment on the ground, more troops on the ground. So as we look at, if I'm sitting in the, the office of the defense minister or the chief of defense staff, and I'm looking, okay, I've only got so many resources to deploy here. Yes, I'm going to put some toward Ukraine and give it to the Ukrainians. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, I have to husband other resources to meet the Canadian deterrent commitment, which is related to the war in Ukraine, because the whole concept of deterrence is to deter a Russian attack on NATO territory, specifically in the Baltics here. So I've got to have to make sure that our defense capability is credible. So I think, having said all that, and given the fact that the only alternative is to take money from health and education, that's the other big budgets in the federal government, Mm -hmm. I don't think that the people of Canada will actually accept that. So I think the government of Canada is balancing itself quite well. Yeah, and it sounds like that uh, delicate balance between dollars and action, and like what we're seeing, as you mentioned, in the U.K. as far as training, and I think that's fabulous because that's yep. what we're good at as Canadians. Uh, let's uh, change gears a, a bit and talk about where we are today, basically six months into this conflict. And President Zelensky now is speaking up and saying he wants the war to end with the liberation of Crimea. And it seems like, from what I've been reading over the past few days, that, that the battle seems to be centered more so around that Crimea region. Is that right? 
Yeah. So uh, let me give you the sketch of the battlefield, but then let me c- come back uh, if we have time because there's breaking news this morning with uh, the Turkish president and the U.N. secretary general. Both are now arriving in Lviv to meet with Zelensky to discuss uh, potential peace settlements, uh, the U.N. Uh, trying to broker a, an inspectors in the nuclear plant that's under siege right now, uh, as well as the, the grain shipment issue. So I'll come back to that. But let me sketch the battlefield, because that then sets the stage for the political meetings. The battlefield is essentially, think World War I. It is a it is a kind of a strategic stalemate uh, from north to south, from from uh, from uh, um, Kharkiv down to uh, uh, to, the, to the Black Sea to the Kurzon uh, area. The fighting is occurring in three primary areas. Ukrainians are launching counterattacks in the Kurzon area. This is extremely strategic because. This is the land bridge. This is the pivot for the land bridge that Russia has established from Russia proper to Crimea. And forces are fighting going back and forth. As of last night, the Russians counterattacked, and the Ukrainians beat them back. Uh, the Ukrainians have hit some strategic bridges there. The Russians are having a hard time resupplying, but they have put in pontoon bridges. So that battle continues to rage. Further up north, in the Donbass, in the last few uh, weeks, the Russians have taken one section of it, an oblast called Luhansk. They are now fighting to take Donetsk in the south. Very heavy fighting is going on there. The Russians move very carefully west, but not much, but they are moving a little bit, so that has to be noted. And in the north, in Kharkiv, there is shelling going on. Both sides are probing. This is Ukraine's second largest city. And the Russians are trying to recapture. They they t- took it early in the war, lost it, and now they're looking at it again. But that's a third order of priority. So the battlefield is stagnant in the strategic way. But as you mentioned in your introduction, Zelensky has been saying that the Ukrainian war aims are the liberation of all Ukrainian territory from Russian forces, including Crimea. Okay, that is a major, like a very tall military objective, very difficult one. And so, therefore, in the interviews and discussions I've been doing uh, lately, I've been saying, well, this war is going to definitely drag on into the fall because neither side is prepared to compromise on their war aims. The Russians want a buffer zone in Ukraine. They want neutrality. They want a legal agreement on that basis. So neither Ukraine nor Russia up at this point have any political basis to make a compromise. So... Where are we now, though? Because today, in advance of the visit of um, the, the Ukrainian of, 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 of Guterres and uh, and Erdogan mm-hmm. in Lviv, a Ukrainian spokesperson said something I have not seen for some time. Called, they said, "We are in a strategic stalemate." Now that, in a way, sort of contradicts the Zelensky statement about we're going to liberate Crimea. If we're in a strategic stalemate, how do we do that? I think that was a primer set up for the the, the meeting today in Lviv to to open up again a potential dialogue of peace settlement. Now, there's been no serious dialogue in, uh, until uh, since last March in Istanbul when the Turks brokered a meeting. And then things fell apart totally, and both sides dug in into a heavy war of attrition. So that's where we're at, Andy, um, and we'll see where things go. But that, it's it's a we're today's an interesting day, actually. Yeah, well, interesting. How much faith do you hold? Do you think we'll have any anything come out of these meetings in this uh, latest round? It's, it, I mean, it's always it's always possible. I mean, the, the war is causing casualties on both sides. This is difficult for Ukraine 
this is difficult for Russia. If both sides could find a a political face-saving device mechanism to have at least a ceasefire, I think a political settlement may be a bridge too far at present. But some kind of an armistice, the way kind of almost like World War I ended without a surrender by Germany, but there was an armistice agreement. Uh, Korea, 1953, similar idea. And we, Korea today still remains technically at North Korea and South Korea are technically at war with the UN command supporting South Korea. So, but there's an armistice. It's been there since 53 because both sides realize fighting is not, not, not a good thing. Now, you're not going to win anything. So we may be getting to that sooner rather than late. Well, the fall. The fall is everyone has said the battles of the summer yeah. will shape the political situation in the fall. Everybody is saying that. And, and, there, and the, the meeting in Lviv today, we're in the second half of August now. Yeah, maybe they're they're doing a primer on that. Could be, yeah, and, and very much so. Crossing our fingers, we'll be uh, having our eyes on it. Thanks for the update and the update surrounding the breaking news as well. Thanks, Andrew. You're very welcome, Andrew. Take care. You too. That's Andrew Rasoulis, fellow at the Canadian Global Affairs Institute and an expert in Eastern European affairs. As post-secondary students prepare to return to class this fall, budgeting and developing smart banking habits are crucial. With tips and insight to help every student out there, we're joined by Natasha McMillan, RateHub.ca's Director of Everyday Banking. Good morning to you, Natasha. Good morning. Let's, let's start from the beginning here. And when it comes to bank accounts, students might have the opportunity to get something a little more, something more customized to them when it comes to a bank account. So, Natasha, can you break down what students should be looking for, what attributes they should be looking for when they're going to open a new bank account? Absolutely. So, typical average bank accounts cost around $15 to uh, a month to 180 per year. If you're a full-time student, we highly recommend that you look for student accounts, which will help you save on fees. So typically there'll be accounts that have no monthly fees. So that's step number one. And then from there, looking at accounts that have a high number of monthly withdrawals or even unlimited, looking for debit transactions and interact e-transfers. And then that way you can kind of utilize your bank account to the best of your capabilities um, without hitting any fees. And then the third thing to look for for students is to ensure that there's no minimum balance requirement. So a lot of uh, bank accounts that we will see for adults have a minimum hold. And if you don't, then you actually have to uh, pay an extra fee. So ensuring that those are the three things that when you're looking for a student bank account is really important. Natasha, one of the things I've noticed is seeing some ads and just even walking through the mall or walking into my own bank, it seems like it's not one bank specific. It seems like all of the major banks have specific products. They're, they're, they're going after that student market. Is that right? Absolutely. Every big bank and even some of the smaller players now have a student credit card or student banking account um, to be considered. Now, when you talk about, you mentioned credit card, that is something that I recall in my first time I went to here in Calgary, to Mount Royal College, now Mount Royal University, and one of the first things I noticed when you walk on campus as a new student, walk in the front door, you almost trip over that big banquet table they have set up, trying to get you involved and sign you up for a credit card. It's one of the first things they do at these post-secondary institutions. I, I guess it's 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 interesting because you got to do your homework. You don't just want that free hat if you sign up for a credit card, for example. I, I would think that you know, as a student, you have to be very diligent when it comes to choosing a credit card. 
Absolutely. There's, again, some key things to consider. So, again, ensuring that it's a no-fee credit card, that you're really looking at what you're spending, um, ensuring you're finding a credit card that kind of matches those spending habits, um, a low interest rate, and then, again, a no or very low minimum income requirement. But it's really important for students to not trip over those big desks that are trying to sell you the credit card and kind of go back and do your research compare the different products, and really find one that suits your habits. But Natasha, you can get a free T-shirt. Why wouldn't you yeah. want that? Uh, <laughs> um, it's, it, it, it's interesting because I, I believe you mentioned the other term that just stood out to me is budgeting. And, and for a lot of students, depending on their age, this might be their first foray out of the house, and they maybe have never had to work on a, a personal budget. So if you can talk about budgeting, because there's so much going on in, in the minds I would think of these students that budgeting might be back of mind. How do they get on track with with creating a a personal budget? Yeah, so creating a budget for your expenses for the school year is really important. So starting to look at what you might need, so including your tuition, the books, the food, um, a rental for a place if you're not at home, taking all of that into consideration and then trying to think about some of the other expenses. Some Every student needs to have a little bit of fun here and there. And so adding that in as well and then thinking about are you getting a job part-time while you're studying and kind of taking that holistic picture. There are a lot of different tools um, that banking apps um, and tools that students can use to help them start to budget. Um, and starting to take into things into consideration like tracking your daily spending, helping you even start to identify where your biggest spending categories are, creating limits for spending, and then actually helping you start to save. So we really recommend that students kind of take a look at not only what's available from their bank, but some of these other budgeting tools that can kind of help them learn about their spending habits and start to kind of set those goals along their budgeting path. And those are great skills to have as they kind of go through life as well. How important is it, Natasha, these are students at this point, they're not in the working world. How important is it at this point to to look at it as building credit? Is this something this early on in their lives to a certain extent? Is that something they should be considered? Building a credit is always important. However, there always will be a credit card that will allow you to do that, whether you're a student or it's your first job. So I wouldn't say that should be a primary concern to students. Um, If they do have an opportunity to get a credit card and that they know that they can use it responsibly, um, ensuring that they can pay their bill on time and avoid overspending, it's a great opportunity to start as a student. But it certainly won't hinder you if you start later in life. All right, Natasha, a chance to give you a plug because I know that uh, we like having you on because at ratehub.ca you're not representing particularly one brand. You really take a look at a wide scope. So if you could explain to the people what ratehub.ca is. Yeah, ratehub.ca is a financial comparison tool. So we cover everything from mortgages, credit cards, banking accounts, all the way through to insurance. And so it gives providers and users an opportunity to go on and look at what might fit their needs specifically and compare it across the gamut of what's available. So when we're looking at banking accounts or student credit cards, it's really going on, seeing the offers that are available to you, allowing you to do the research. We've got a ton of education in different spaces, particularly in this case for students. 
Um, so highly recommend that anyone looking for kind of credit cards or bank accounts and students going off to university or post-secondary education, take a look and see um, what is available to them from an education perspective and then kind of helping them close that gap on what they might actually need, whether it is a banking account, some investment tools or a credit card. Very interesting conversation and uh, super timely. Thanks for your time, Natasha. Thank you so much. That is Natasha McMillan of ratehub.ca. If you want to learn more, you go to ratehub.ca online. And I want to know your thoughts from your experience as a student or perhaps you have uh, older children going into post-secondary. Because to me, you think about it, with the exception of those older students, you know, maybe who have had some life experience going back to brush up their skills or make a career path change. You think about it. And, I, and from my experience, between the ages of, you know, 17 and, and 20, a lot of these kids leaving the house for the first time, really having some independence, not only do they have to, you know, finally think about a budget, think about credit and, and, and kind of carry the weight on their own when it comes to expenses. They have a lot of expenses. So do you recall what that was like? To me, it, it was almost like being thrown to the wolves because in my family, which I would think is a lot like many families out there, we didn't talk a lot about money. And now here I am carrying a credit card in my pocket that has an 18.9% interest rate, if you're lucky at some points. And, uh, you know, you've got the food court at the post-secondary institution. You, you might be going to the uh, little uh, sports lounge that the staff, that the, the students uh, union has put together, and all of a sudden, the bills start to rack up. It's kind of a scary time. This is very cool if you're a Stamps fan. It's a chance to go back in time as a Stamps fan has digitized classic moments in Stampeder history. Dave McIver brings us the details. Look where the Stampeders are, second and three at the Toronto 19. It's a blast from the past. Floating to the near side, Sapunjus open again. Away from one tackler, Sapunjus, touchdown! Fifth touchdown of a new season for David Sapunjus. One Calgary school teacher is spending some of his free time bringing the history of the Calgary Stampeders back to life. Final minute. Bus. Dancing. Unloads. Nicholas. Touchdown. What a play by Nicholas. See what happens now. Looks like overtime. Tom Elder runs the YouTube account Calgary Stampeder Classics, where he uploads full games from the past to give old and new Stamps fans a nostalgic or new look on classic moments from Calgary Stampeder history. Over the years, I've collected um, um, full-length copies of Stampeder games, and I've uh, posted them on there. Um, I got a lot of games like from within the last like 15 years, but I have a number of games from uh, like the 80s, the 90s. Um, I've even, uh, through the generosity of uh, uh, the team historian Daryl Slade, have acquired uh, a number of 16 millimeter films, coaches films, um, from the 1959, 1960, and some other years um, that I'm in the process of, or have converted um, a number of them already to, uh, to digital. Um, so it's basically just uh, the YouTube page is just to promote um, and preserve the history of the team and to also um, um, promote the league uh, as well and preserve the history of the league. And you have uh, Instagram and Twitter accounts too, right? Yes, I have an Instagram, an associated Instagram and Twitter account as well. Though the purpose of those are to kind of to highlight the games, highlight certain players um, or particular games or moments in Stampeder history as well. Also, it gives a chance for me to kind of uh, show what uh, 
former players are up to nowadays. You know, like a lot of people probably don't know that, you know, former stamp Doug Davies is a chiropractor um, down in Texas, and he's also a painter on the side um, sort of thing. And he does wonderful work. Or Mark Pierce, who played for the Stamps in the mid-90s, um, he's a blacksmith. Uh, you know, just west of the city. So it just gives me a chance to be able to profile former players as well as um, current players as well. While Tom's social media pages give older fans a trip down memory lane, Tom says his work is just as much about giving new young fans an opportunity to see former players and grow the game through a new interest in the CFL. Not too long ago, before I kind of started this project, I was at a game and I heard a kid asking his dad about Doug Flutie when he played for Calgary sort of thing. So I'm like, well, this would be awesome if I could post these games online, um, you know, and people could see when Doug Flutie played here besides the Great Cup, you know, and um, and a few other select games. Like I got a number of games when he was here in Calgary. Like uh, a lot of my followers are younger, or uh, younger, um, younger people and uh, like a lot of alumni's uh, kids follow it. Um, like even my son, like my son's been a, Fan for a, a few years and we've gone to games like the last few years but but this year is kind of the has been the first year where like he like even if the stamps aren't playing he needs to watch like he wants to watch like you know like uh hamilton and ottawa or hamilton and toronto play tom has also found a community of people sharing old cfl footage that has led to some hidden gems in stamps history often with these uh these 60 millimeter games like i'll trade with other um cfl fans like uh, there's a guy in edmonton who's kind of the unofficial um uh, historian of uh, the Edmonton uh, Elks, uh, like I'll trade with him and let's say like for instance I got like the 19, not too long ago, um, I got the 1995 Labor Day game which no one has been able to find. And of course that was Jeff Garcia's kind of coming out party. It's a first down now at the 14. And Garcia at the point, five receivers, Daniels the lone running back, shotgun in zone, touchdown as his pages and his library of games continue to grow, Tom hopes to keep building connections and keep putting smiles on people's faces. I mean, like in the future, I'd maybe like to expand a little bit into like a podcast and have like like alumni guests. Because I mean, one of the things that's really got me excited about doing all this is like just the amount of connections uh, I've made with alumni or reconnections even. Because I mean, like people like Jay McNeil, I've known, um, you know, I knew from like the late 90s when I was, uh, you know, playing high school football in Calgary. Um, and whatnot, but I mean, like, there's other guys that I've kind of made connections with, um, and even non-Stampeder alumni. Like, I mean, like, I, I talked to frequently like Darren Flutie, but it's been awesome to to make connections with other players. And I mean, like, I talked to Jeff Garcia from time to time. Like, he follows my Instagram page, so does Jeff Garcia um, and Henry Burris, obviously. So it's been, uh, yeah, it's it's been awesome, and also like connecting with other lesser known alumni because I mean there's no wet like CFL films or anything like this and I get no I get more joy out of any of I get the most joy out of this um by like sharing with a player like a clip of him you know you know I mean he wasn't like a star player but he had like you know you know he played a, a few years here and you know that if I make their day or if I brighten their day then that's uh that, uh, that's awesome. You can check out Calgary Stampeder Classics on YouTube, Instagram, and Twitter by typing in Calgary Stampeder Classics. And if you're looking for some Vanier Cup highlights, Tom also has another page, Canadian Amateur Football Classics. For 770 CHQR, I'm Dave McIver.